Please bow your hearts in in prayer with me. Father, we we thank you for your goodness, God. There there are times where we maybe come into this room on a Sunday morning and we feel that uh, we ourselves as individuals are are that vilest or that poorest uh, or the stranger. And, and maybe we only feel the first half of that chorus of my sins, they are many. And, and Father, we are, we are so grateful that your mercy is more. That we cannot out your love, your grace. We cannot out the blood of Jesus. And we thank you that, that James tells us that mercy triumphs over judgment. And Lord, as we open your word, you, you know the sins on our hearts, the, the sins of the ones standing before us, and, and your mercy is more than that. And Lord, that, that even though This world is filled with sorrow, filled with tribulation. Some of that being self-inflicted. But God, you are enough. And Lord, I pray that this morning as as we move through your word, that you would help us to see that. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus is your anchor. So when the seas of life are overwhelming, just grab hold of Jesus and throw him overboard. That's a literal quote. It was in a a paper agenda they gave me when I was in college because we didn't have technology back in the early 2000s. Jesus is your anchor, so when the seas of life get rough, throw Jesus overboard. That is quite possibly the best and the worst quote at the same time. Life is a roller coaster. We, we feel that, the ups and downs, the turbulence. Life is a roller coaster, except if to make life a roller coaster, you'd have to take a normal roller coaster, drop all predictability of seeing the track of head and then throw out the safety equipment as well, right? We, we experience this. Just think of the last two years of your life. Think of all the ups and downs that you've had, whether from health, in relationships, the highs and the lows, sometimes minutes apart. And then you think, you zoom out from your life and you get more of a view, let's say, of our state or our country or or even the whole world and all that's happened in just the last two years, whether it's issues facing our country from police to schools to guns to mental health, hurricanes, fires, relationships with other countries, the opiate epidemic, And there's an obvious question that arises that with, with so much turmoil going on, where in the world are we going to find any sense of stability? 
For followers of Jesus, the answer is obvious. Last week we heard it as our guest Greg preached out of John 15 that we just need to be really connected with the vine. And, and a, sen- a sentiment that I've, I've heard, that I've used when people are going through something difficult, when believers are going through something difficult, they say, I don't know how I'd ever get through this without Jesus. And I don't know how people go through trials without Jesus. I, um, several years ago, this was back when I was in college, the, the wonderful governor of Minnesota, Jesse the Body Ventura, um, said Christians are weak and Jesus is a crutch that they need. And a bunch of Christians got really upset about that because no one likes being told they're weak. And I remember a college professor of mine saying, he's exactly right. I'm tremendously weak, and without Jesus, I don't know how I'd stand. He, he's much more than a crutch to me. And it's okay for us to admit that. Whether or not the disciples realized it as they were hearing Jesus say the words that are found in John 16, whether or not they realized it, uh, a roller coaster is a complete understatement for what they were in the middle of and about to experience. When we say life is a roller coaster, no, 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 that's not, that, that doesn't even begin to describe what they were in for and really what, what we're a part of as we follow Jesus. Today's Palm Sunday, and we have these, these branches all over. Um, Norm was kind enough to ask if I was going to be the one to clean this up this week. Um, Palm Sunday must have been quite the day for the disciples. We had the skit showing us the excitement of it. Here comes Jesus. He's riding in, and people are throwing down. They're peeling off branches, putting them down. They're giving him above a red carpet treatment. They're putting their own cloaks down so the donkey he's riding doesn't have to touch the actual ground. And they're screaming out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Pharisees get really frustrated at this. And Jesus said, well, if the people didn't say it, the rocks would cry out. And the disciples, I can only imagine, they've been following Jesus for three years. They're coming into Jerusalem. This is the the reception they're getting. Surely they're thinking, all right, all these people, they get Jesus the way we do. Things are about to change in a big way. No one's ready for what's going to happen here. It's Passover week. This is the reception Jesus is getting. And they could never have imagined that just a few days later, those crowds who were shouting Hosanna would be shouting, crucify him. Not blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, but, but give, us, give us Barabbas. Crucify this guy. Hang him up on a cross. There's no way. They could have anticipated that the next chant would be. But Jesus knew. Jesus knew exactly what was happening. He was in full control of all of it. Not a single thing happened that week that was outside of his control. 
Remember Jesus' words earlier in His ministry, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down. At the point in the evening where we get to John 16, the disciples are not in the upper room anymore. They're walking to the Garden of Gethsemane. Passing through the valley, they're on their way, and we don't know if they're all huddled around Jesus, or they're kind of spread out, and Jesus is kind of talking to all of them at the same time as they're walking, but they're making their way. Jesus has told them, He said, look, for a little while I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to be gone, then you're going to see me again. I mean, what in the world is He saying now? And so we pick up in verse 19, and I'm, I'm going to, the screen says 20, I'm going to start reading in verse 19. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, is this what you were asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while you will not see me, and again in a little while you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say that you, uh, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father Himself loves you, because you have loved me and believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you're speaking plainly, not using figures of speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. They finally figured out that no one needs to question Jesus, that he he actually knows all things. This is why we believe that you came from God. And Jesus answered them. Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet, I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Here in John 16, Jesus is telling the disciples that they need to come to terms with reality. We need to come to terms with reality, and here's the reality. We can and should expect sorrow. Sorrow is part of life, and it's part of following Jesus. 
And he's telling them, you're about to be sorrowful. So what does it mean that they're going to be sorrowful? What kind of sorrow should they expect? What kind of sorrow should we expect? Well, there's, there's, there's two things being talked about at virtually the same time here. The, the immediate context of sorrow for the disciples was that the next day Jesus was going to be hanging on a cross. And then he was going to be laid in a tomb. He was going to be dead and buried. We're going to part, partake in this sorrow Friday night. And I invite you, as we go through this week, what's often called as Holy Week, I invite you to to read these passages in the Gospels from Jesus' last week of public ministry before His crucifixion. And then I invite you to do this on Saturday. Remind yourselves, there was a day for the disciples that Jesus was dead. That Jesus' body was not in a tomb. He was not walking with them. He had not yet ascended to the Father. He had not yet resurrected from the tomb. There was was this time where for the disciples, Jesus died yesterday. And I invite you on Saturday to try and sit in that a little bit. Whether it's in your quiet times or you, you have some way of reminding yourself throughout the day that Jesus... Jesus died. And Jesus is telling them, you're going to have an intense sorrow here. But it's only going to be a sorrow for a moment. And he likens it to a woman who's in labor where there's this intense pain, this intense sorrow, and then there's a baby, and there's intense joy. He's saying, here's what you guys are going to have over the next few days. You're going to have intense sorrow, then you're going to see me, and you're just going to be over the top about it. It's going to be great. I'm leaving, and I'm coming back. So that's, for the disciples, there's that, that brief momentary sorrow of Jesus' crucifixion, resurrection, and then for the disciples after the ascension, and for us, there's a different kind of sorrow, where Jesus is with the Father, He hasn't yet come back, And there's a longing, there's a missing of Jesus. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And there's also this sorrow that we are not united with him. Even though though Jesus, we are united, Jesus is in our heart, we, we are not physically beside Jesus. And we are walking by faith, and there is part of a sorrow. But Jesus says, in that day, in that day that you're fully united with me, but it's not yet. And part of how we see that sorrow played out is in prayer. Jesus says, in that day, in the day you're fully united with me again, you'll ask nothing of me. And I think he's also talking about, look, until now, your prayer life has consisted of literal conversation with me. There's coming the day you're not going to be talking to me. You're going to be talking to the Father, and you're going to be talking to the Father in my name. The fact that we have a need for prayer suggests that things aren't right. Prayer is a lot of things. Prayer can be joyful. Prayer can be praise. Prayer can be thankfulness. Often it is, and it should be. But there's also an element of prayer where things are going wrong, 
And we need God's intervention. We need Jesus to come into that. We need to ask God for help with stuff because we can't do it on our own because we are overwhelmed. We're overwhelmed with life. We're overwhelmed with the task of following Jesus, with making disciples. We're overwhelmed with sorrow from losing a loved one. I have a friend that we used to, when we lived in the same town, we could pray together quite often, and and sometimes we'd look at each other when it was time to pray, and we'd say, well, has it come to this? Has it come to the point where we have to pray about this? Is it that serious now? Yes, it is. Let's pray. There's coming the day they're not going to be able to just turn and say, hey, Jesus, what do you think about this? They're going to have to go to the Father in, in Jesus' name. So where does our sorrow come from? Our sorrow, there's a general sorrow that everyone, believers and unbelievers, experiences. And that's from just the plain brokenness of our world. Our sin, the sin of others, various kinds of tragedies, the the brokenness of creation that brings out these superstorms that wipe out people, that wipe out cities. There's a general brokenness that affects all of us. But then there's there's some sorrow that comes uniquely from following Jesus. We haven't had time, regrettably we have not had time in these last few weeks to to look at every single verse of the Upper Room Discourse. One of the passages we had to to miss, we couldn't go verse by verse through, but we're going to talk about in, in brief now is the second half of John 15. Where Jesus starts out in John 15, 18, he says, If the world hates you, know that it's hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. This is like really good Hallmark encouragement card material. He goes on to say, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep your word. All these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. This is, I imagine as Jesus is telling them, look, if the world hates me, it's going to hate you. And they're like, okay, well, who wouldn't love Jesus? And then the next day they see Jesus crucified, and they're like, oh, shoot. Like, that's, this is what it, like, following Jesus means I could die in a really bad way. And Jesus goes on to say what what we have in, in the very start of John 16, starting in verse 1, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Jesus' concern is that as, as, this, as this sorrow from persecution mounts up, that people will say, uh-oh, I didn't sign up for this. He said, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when they're... When their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. When Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. 
He's saying, following me doesn't always end well in an earthly way. It's not prestigious. It's not, it's not the best thing you can imagine in a worldly sense. And it's going to cost you. And in America, we, following Jesus is just so easy. We have so much freedom. We, we have no fear that the government's going to come through the doors and shut us down. Occasionally, very rarely, someone comes into a church and they shoot up the place because it's a church. And people are persecuted in that way occasionally in our country, but that's rare. The other thing that's rare is the freedom we experience and the lack of persecution. Persecution is is very common for the church. And we have brothers and sisters in Christ who around the world in this last 24-hour period of time have met secretly in homes or fields or forests in order to meet together to worship. And sometimes when they sing, they can't sing out loud. They just have to whisper praise to God because if a neighbor overhears it, it, it would be the end. And they're not ashamed of Christ. They're, they're meeting. They're worshiping. They're, they're trying to evangelize in, in, in the best way they know how. But persecution and threat of life is a real thing. There's a sorrow that comes from following Jesus as, as we suffer for Christ and as loved ones suffer for Christ. And we're told in Scripture that we should remember those in prison for Christ's name as though we are in prison with them. So our brothers and sisters in Christ who are locked up because they wouldn't stop following Jesus, we need to remember them as though we are in prison with them. I encourage you to find good writing on the persecuted church. The Insanity of God, a book we read last summer, is a great place to start. Uh, Tortured for Christ by Pastor Richard Wormbrand is a great place to start. Get to know what's going on with our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. Have sorrow with them. And then there's a part of sorrow where we're missing Jesus. In Matthew 9, Jesus is confronted and they say, Hey, why do, the, why do all these other disciples of Pharisees and of John the Baptist fast, but your disciples don't fast? And he said, who, uh, who goes to a wedding and doesn't eat when they're in the presence of the bridegroom? They're rejoicing right now. They're with the bridegroom. I'm the main deal. There's going to come a day where I go to heaven. I'm not with them anymore. On that day, they'll fast. And there's an aspect of fasting. It's, it's not always seeking wisdom. It can be. It's not always repentance. It can be. It's not always asking God for His intervention on, a, on something that's really big, but it certainly can be. Sometimes fasting is, God, I'm really desperate for you, and I, I just need to be close to you. And I'm more desperate for you than I am for whatever it is you're fasting from, whether it's food, whether it's screens and technology, I'm, I'm, whether it's any sort of outside noise. I'm, I'm just fasting from those things because I'm, I'm more desperate for God than I am for those things. We spend a lot of our energy 
avoiding sorrow and suffering. Ajith Fernando has a book, The Call to Join Joy and Pain. And he acknowledges that the Christians are called to pain, Christians are called to joy, and a lot of times they come together at the same time. And he says, in order to suffer for our faith, we must view suffering as something normal to Christianity. So many times we avoid, we, so many times we hear teaching that talks about all the blessing there is to walking with God, and, it, and it's void of the part that a lot of times that blessing comes from suffering and perseverance. We need to avoid the suffering that says every day can be great and embrace the, the teaching that says to God be the glory and in heaven will be my ultimate reward, not here. So how do we deal with, how do we deal with, with sorrow? How do we cope with it? A lot of times on our own, we, we will distract ourselves from it. And today, that distraction looks like this. And we just scroll. And we, we whether it's a, a dumb game that means nothing, whether it's social media, whether it's the news, whether it's music, we just, we just spend all time and we walk like this. We become Quasimodo from our phone. No. Um, researchers have determined that the dopamine effects of, of social media, of looking at our screen, of all that time, is, is very similar to that. Of, of alcohol and of drugs. And um, one guy, Simon Sinek, uh, he, he, I heard him talking about this research. He goes, basically with social media and with phones, we've, we've given the key to the liquor cabinet to 14-year-olds. Say, oh, you feel bad? Go look at all the likes. Post a funny selfie. Go look at all your likes. And the dopamine effects are the same. And what we do is we say, I have all this sorrow, but I'm going to avoid it. The problem is that it never deals with our sorrow. And, and, and it never deals with our sorrow in, in terms of dealing with grief, but it also never deals with our sorrow in terms of saying, God, what do you have for me in this? God, what are you teaching me? How do you want to shape me through this trial that I'm on? God, you're sovereign. You put me here. How do you want to shape me? What do you want to do? The other one, this is very similar to the distracting, is self-medicating. And a lot of times when we hear self-medicating, we, we immediately think of substance abuse. And there's an appropriateness to that. But distraction becomes a form of self-medication. But what I want to hit home about self-medication is that it's saying, it's really a form of idolatry and saying my solution is met in X. Fill in the blank. There's my solution. And it's something other than Jesus himself. And the final way to cope with this is trust. We can actually just, we can trust God at his word. When we face sorrow of any kind, we can, we can go and say, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We can go and say that, that this is, we can look at First Peter and realize this is going to deepen my faith. That all of this is to God's glory, that he works out all things to the good of those who love him according to his purposes. And when we trust Jesus, we get a fuller picture. Because we need to remember that in John 16, Jesus doesn't just tell his, his disciples, hey, there's going to be a lot of sorrow, good luck with it. See you, suckers. 
That's not the word. The word is, I'm going to turn your sorrow to joy. Because we don't just need to come to terms with reality, we need to come to terms with all of reality. And sometimes we hear sorrow and joy and we fixate so much on the sorrow that we miss the promises that Jesus has for us. And so come to terms not just with reality, but come to terms with all of reality. So let's look through four broad categories of of the all of reality, of the promises that Jesus gives us. One, he gives us unrobable joy. At the end of verse 20, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. Verse 22, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice. No one will take your joy from you. This is all about being connected with Jesus. We need the vine. Ajith Fernando also says, it's not the presence of suffering which is wrong with a Christian, but the absence of joy. So many times we think, it was something suffering, they must have done something wrong, or, or they're not doing it right now. But it's not suffering that's the problem, it's the absence of joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. How often do we remind ourselves of that? If you're anything like me, you completely forget about it in moments when you need it most. The joy of the Lord is my strength. When I'm down and troubled, when I need a helping hand or have other James Taylor-like feelings, I need to remember that the joy of the Lord is my strength. And it's such good news that I'm not my strength. The lie of the world that you're enough. You're not enough. You need Jesus. You need His joy to be your strength. Joy, everyone in the world suffers. But when the believer suffers and joy is there, what a powerful testimony it is to the goodness of God. Let joy be one of the things that sets you apart from the world because you have such reason for it. The other thing, the second promise we have here is seeing Jesus Himself. You have sorrow, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice. Your sorrow has an expiration date. The trial you're in now has an expiration date. I don't know when it is. It's not stamped on your trial in a way that you can see, but your trial has an expiration date. For the disciples, it was, it was three days. You're going to see me in three days. I'm going to rise again. And we don't physically see Jesus. Well, let's look at the book of Acts. Jesus ascended. The disciples had the indwelling of Christ through the Holy Spirit. There's a full unity with Christ that we have. They also saw the work of Christ time and time again. People being healed. People being saved. We can see the work of Christ around us. And they suffered with Christ. They were unified with Him in their suffering and they praised God for it. You can fully experience Jesus here. You may not see Him physically, but we know that one day we will. 
One day we'll, we'll see Him in glory. We'll see Him in full. And all the sorrow we have now will fade away. Every tear will be wiped away. There will be no more mourning, no more sorrow, no more pain. We have answered prayer. Jesus, over and over again in this last night, has, has told them to ask, ask, ask. And He says it again here. Whatever you ask, ask in my name, you will receive that your joy may be full. God answers our prayers to fill our joy. Do you realize that God's desire for you is that you have full and abundant joy? That joy to be full and abundant needs to be found in Him, found in His work, found in the bearing of fruit from the gospel, found in answered prayers, found in walking with God and being connected with the vine. But God desires for you to have full joy, and to have full joy is to be connected with the vine, because any joy the world has to offer is counterfeit and cheap and will break. Full, lasting joy is God's desire. The joy we get from communing with God Himself. The other promise we get is that Jesus gives us peace and Jesus Himself is the Prince of Peace. We get peace from the Prince of Peace. Do you, starting in verse 31, do you now believe Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come upon you. Well, you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. The time is coming. He's telling the disciples, you guys are going to completely freak out, and you're going to run away. All this talk, you're going to follow me. Oh, I have unshakable faith. No, your faith is going to be shaken. You're going to completely freak out. But hear this. I'm not alone. The Father's with me. And here, here, verse 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. They've just said, Jesus, we know you know all things. And Jesus is saying, I've told you these things. I told you all that's going to happen to me so that in me you'll have peace. When days are good, it's so easy to walk with God. I woke up with a smile. My kids obeyed me. They got to school on time. Came to the office. There were no emails. Oh, God is so good. And things start dropping and falling out of place. Things get on our nerves. We get grumpy. We sin against the people we love. We see the people we love making decisions that hurt us because it's hard to watch them go through things unnecessarily. We get bad news at work. There's another shooting on the news. Someone died before it was their time. They died too young. And we start to just distance ourselves a little bit. And maybe, maybe you've been there where things are going bad and you look and you see your Bible across the room, you see it on the shelf and you think, ugh, I should probably read that. 
You get the reminder on your phone to do your devos, to, and you, or, or you're scrolling through your contacts, and you're like, you know, I, I should call and t- or text someone and just ask for help with this. But no, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. The great American proverb. I'm going to do it right. And things just get harder and harder. What Jesus told the disciples, he was like, things are going to get unbelievably hard. You're going to completely freak out. But I'm telling you that now so that when it happens, you can have peace in me. And here he goes on to say, he goes, in this, in this world you will have tribulation. You're going to have so much tribulation and sorrow. Maybe even this week. I hope not, but maybe. Things aren't going to go right. People around you are going to disappoint you. And, and what I'm urging you to do is when that happens... And if it doesn't happen today, it doesn't happen tomorrow, it's going to happen eventually. When that happens, when everything starts closing around you, don't close yourself off. Don't don't turn your back and say, you know what, God, I put things in your hand and you let me down. No, Jesus' word is proving true. In this world, you will have tribulation. Sometimes that tribulation is, is people get locked up for loving Jesus. Sometimes that tribulation is cancer. Sometimes that tribulation is you're unemployed. You're going to have tribulation. Sometimes that tribulation is your relationship status stinks. You're not with anyone. You think you're with the wrong person. Whatever it is, or the person you're with is just kind of a grump and you don't like him that day. In this world, you will have tribulation. Have peace in me. Let your peace be in Christ. So instead of turning away, look to Jesus and say, God, you're so good. God, you said this would happen. God, you are the only unchanging thing in my life. Look what Jesus says right after saying, you will have tribulation. In this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. The world's going to give you fits. I'm greater than the world. He hasn't even died on the cross yet, and he's declaring victory. He's calling a shot. It's going out of the park. Go, give me your best shot, pitcher. It's going over the fence. He's Babe Ruth in it right here. I have overcome the world. You know, when Isaiah talks about Jesus, he says, you know, the virgin will conceive. And we, we get really excited about that. He'll be the prince of peace. And then there's this phrase in there that we're like, what, what does that mean? He will rule the nations with a rod of iron. Jesus is the prince of peace. Because he alone can hold peace. In Revelation, we have these times where where armies come and they try to overthrow Jesus and he cuts them down with the sword of his mouth. He rides into battle with an army, but his army doesn't need to fight. They just watch him. Jesus has overcome the world. And he gives us peace. In John 14, he goes, peace I leave you, my peace I give you. And it's a peace that Philippians says transcends all understanding. 
that while you're in the waiting room outside an ICU, while you're following God and not knowing how it's going to work out because He's telling you to go to a people that you don't think want to hear about Him, When you have to say something at work and it could get you in a lot of trouble with HR or you have to stand up for your faith in the classroom, we do so with the confidence that Jesus, whom we have peace in, has overcome the world. That Jesus, you think of whatever that obstacle is in front of you right now, and I want you to just say, Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. I have a few just quick little practical things as we deal with the tension of sorrow and joy. One, just believe Jesus. Just get to know his promises and believe them. Get to know his promises. Say, say Jesus, you, I believe you. I'm, I'm going to choose to believe Jesus instead of believing the lie that the world is broadcasting loud and clear. Get really acquainted with his promises. And, and the world is going to be so loud that it's hard to hear. So you need to diligently seek him out in scripture. Secondly, be Trinitarian. A couple of weeks ago, Dave was Dave had the monumental task of, of telling us everything we need to know about the Holy Spirit in one sermon. He is our counselor. The Holy Spirit is our counselor. He is our instructor. He is our tutor. He points us to Jesus. He convicts us of our sin. Do not quench the Holy Spirit in your life. Third, pray, 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 pray. That's five if you've taken notes. Jesus said, ask in my name. So as you're facing these sorrows, as you're trying to obey the Great Commission, maybe you're sitting here like, I don't have any friends that are non-Christians. Ask, ask Jesus for some friends that are non-Christians and see what happens in your life. I don't have the words to say. Go back to being Trinitarian. Let the Holy Spirit lead you. Ask God for words in Jesus' name and trust that the Holy Spirit will help you. Finally, Back to John 15. Be connected to the vine. As, it's hard to get in the practice. If you're not in the practice of, of regularly communing with God in your prayer life, in, in His Word, do that. These, as terrible as phones can be, you can set reminders. Have your devotions. Read this thing. You can do it with other people. Find people to connect with. Find, a, find a, a, a friend that you can, even if it's just texting once a week, once a day, how's it going, what are you learning? And add that to the friendships you already have. If you're already getting together with someone regularly to work out, say, hey, when we lift, let's also talk about what we're learning. Before we do book club or, or whatever club you're in, let's, let's also talk about this at the beginning. And just 
get connected to the vine any way you can. In this world, you will have sorrow. But through Jesus, through seeing Jesus, through walking with Jesus, our hearts will rejoice and we will have an unrobable joy. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you give us joy. We thank you that joy is evidence of the Holy Spirit working in our life. And God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would be working in our lives, would be drawing us to you, would be producing joy where the world would tell us we only have sorrow to think about. We thank you that you have overcome the world. In Jesus' name, amen.